0: We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof. I ask everyone to stay calm. The process is working. It's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. This is special coverage of the 2020 election from Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is a Bloomberg Radio special report bringing you the very latest on the 2020 election. I'm Nathan Hager.
2: I'm Amy Morris. The counting continues, but the election is over. Joe Biden is now the president-elect. Let's bring in Emily Wilkins now. Emily is Bloomberg government reporter who's been with the Biden campaign in Wilmington, Delaware. Emily, I want to thank you for taking the time with us. Um, Just first of all, set the scene for us. What is going on at the Biden campaign headquarters in Delaware?
3: So we're this is a different bit of a campaign because everyone is socially distanced. It's a really positive atmosphere, both out here and inside the hotel where Biden campaign staffers are finally being able to celebrate the fact that Biden will be the 46th president of the United States.
1: I've got to think, Emily, there's not just a feeling of celebration on the part of the Biden team, but relief that they've finally gotten to that electoral college count that guarantees them the, uh, the presidency and the vice presidency here. Uh, what about that?
3: I mean, the Biden campaign has had this Very narrow line to walk in this regard. On one hand, they wanted to project confidence that Biden would be the next president even before the race was called. However, because Biden has spent the last several weeks warning Americans that if Trump tried to call the race early, that that wouldn't be valid. He also put himself in a position where he could not declare himself the winner. And so Biden has had this very, very, very careful message of sort of everyone needs to wait, but we're optimistic. So I think the Biden campaign has just sort of slowly started to embrace this. And with the AP's call, not only for Pennsylvania, but also for Nevada, they can now say with confidence, that Biden is going to be the next president, and they're going to go forward.
2: Emily, what is the work ahead? The Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is tweeting that there's a lot of work ahead for them to do. What's that going to look like? When does that begin? What do they start
3: with? Oh, it has already begun. Biden has been working on his transition team for months. Uh, The other day, both he and Harris were briefed on both the state of the economy and the state of COVID-19 in America. I I mean, look, we're having a giant spike in cases right now of COVID that we're seeing. We still have unemployment far down from where it was at the beginning of the year. There's a lot of work to be done here. And perhaps the most challenging thing is that Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. But this has been an immensely decisive election. We have seen an America that once again came out, and we saw Donald Trump once again hit very similar numbers and very similar percentage to what we saw in 2016, and we're expecting a bit of further division if Trump continues to push and say that this was a fraudulent election and deny the results of it. And so I think one of the big things that Biden is going to have to do is really find a way to start uniting Americans.
1: Is it going to be made that much more difficult, though, Emily, by the fact that at this point, it does seem as though President Trump is not ready to concede? Shortly after the calls were made by the major media organizations, the president came out and said this election is far from over. He's promising to begin legal proceedings as soon as Monday.
3: It probably does make it a little more difficult for the Biden campaign. But I'm saying that the Biden campaign I don't think that their course of direction forward is going to be determined by whether or not Trump concedes the election. I think that's going to be more of a question for those within the Republican Party, senators, lawmakers, top officials, on whether they want to continue Trump's message that the election is legitimate or if they want to begin to accept the results as we've seen them called.
2: We're also looking ahead to see how the president elect is going to be able to work with what appears to be a Republican-held Senate, uh, is there any optimism that they'll be able to you know, cross those party lines and be able to sit down together and get things done, not just be all gridlock all the time?
3: Obviously, Joe Biden would probably rather uh, be working with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer instead of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But Biden was in the Senate for a number of years. He has worked with these Republican lawmakers before. He has worked with McConnell before. I mean, he and McConnell do have a relationship that transcends the work one a little bit. McConnell was one of the few Republican senators to come to the funeral of Joe Biden. And so he and McConnell do have this sort of repertoire that we might not have necessarily seen between, say, McConnell and Barack Obama. So there is a sense that Biden might be able to work with a Republican Senate and a House where the Democratic majority has shrunk. It does mean that a lot of the big picture plans that he might have been hoping to pass, big things on taxes, big things on health care, those might have to be scaled back because they're going to have to pass in either a Republican-held Senate or a 50-50 Senate.
1: Are you starting to see, Emily, any tailoring of expectations in terms of the kinds of policy proposals that a Biden presidency could pursue with the kind of government it's going to be facing come January?
3: To a certain extent, yes. I think everyone realizes that Democrats are only going to be holding two of these chambers Uh, and that Republicans are still either going to hold the Senate or have a very strong sway in the Senate if it is divided. And so I think everyone does realize to a certain extent that, that, yes, things are going to have to be different than what they might have been if Democrats were going in with the White House, the Senate, and the House.
1: Thank you for this, Emily. That's uh, Bloomberg government reporter Emily Wilkins with us from Biden campaign headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. Straight ahead on this Bloomberg Daybreak special report, we'll look at the path ahead for policy for a president-elect Biden. Terry Haynes, founder of Pangaea Policy, joins us next. I'm Nathan Hager, along with Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg.
0: This is special coverage of the 2020 election from Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is a Bloomberg Radio special report bringing you the very latest on the 2020 race. I'm Nathan Hager. I'm Amy Morris. Some
2: counting does continue, but we can tell you Democrat Joe Biden has defeated President Trump. Biden will become the 46th president of the United States. We want to bring in now Terry Haynes, the founder of Pangea Policy. Terry, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time with us. Um, And and we do want to let our audience know that President Trump continues to challenge this vote count. He continues with his court challenges.
4: Uh, Terry, what's the
2: likelihood that the president's going to get very far
4: with this? Thank you, Amy and Nathan. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, Biden wins, you know, after all the challenges, and Trump does not. There are, you know, there are six states that still matter: uh, at Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada. Uh, there are a variety of challenges there. I could bore you with details on them, and I will if you'd like. But, <laughs> uh, but at root, uh, you know, even if even if all those challenges went Trump's way, I think that he still loses Nevada.
1: Let's look ahead to what policy could be looking like uh, going forward with a President Biden? What do you see being accomplished in the lame duck uh, where the markets are looking for some kind of stimulus to come out uh, before the end of this year?
4: I think that the stimulus, when it comes, will be in the $1.5 trillion to $2 trillion range. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I think that, uh, fundamentally, a lot of analysts uh, Completely miss the idea that, or completely miss the, the how receptive Republicans are to having a stimulus. They think the position is that of the, the current Republican Senate, which is about uh, half a trillion dollars. But th- that was a conversation starter, you know, to get the get the Senate in the game more than anything else. Uh, the sweet spot here, both politically and for in terms of the economy, is one and a half to two trillion dollars that 's kind of where everybody was coalescing around uh, but before the election, there was really no uh, really no political consensus uh, around the need to get something done and there was no economic consensus that you know something absolutely needed to happen after the elections. Uh, I don't think it happens immediately after the elections. I think it waits until uh, the President Biden comes in. Uh, the reason for that, very simply, is that there is a uh, – there, now there are likely two runoffs in Georgia uh, for the Senate that will determine uh, whether or not the Senate is Republican majority or Democratic majority. Now, I think it's uh, likely to continue to be Republican majority, but it's not out of the question that uh, the, the Democrats take both of those seats. So the politics don't yet coalesce around doing something uh, serious about stimulus uh, before uh, the end of January, beginning of February. And the only thing, frankly, that could change that uh, would be if the economy takes some kind of steep dive similar to that which happened in March. Uh, absolutely you know, not out of the question, but nobody thinks that's going to happen right now. So uh, I think you don't see it until February. Do you see
2: the GOP driving hard bargains assuming that it is a Republican majority Senate that would be dealing with a Biden White House?
4: Yeah, I see them driving hard bargains across the uh, uh, across the board, Amy. Uh what I see out of a Biden presidency really is is three market positives. One is that uh there's gen- generally there's fiscal stability. Uh, secondly, the, you know, again, that you have a, uh, code next COVID relief package in the one and a half to two trillion range, something that, uh, the economy will respond very positively to. And thirdly, that you get no rollback of, uh, policies that the markets really liked during, uh, during sort of the, the Trump slash Senate Republican uh, coalition presidency. So tax bill doesn't get rolled back. Uh, regulations don't get reimposed fully, all that sort of thing. Uh, but you don't really get anything else. It's, I think it's always a misnomer to think that uh, that there's two political parties involved here, when in fact there's four coalitions. Uh, coalitions are left-to-right, Democratic progressives, Democratic centrists, Republican centrists, and Republican conservatives. They assemble differently. This time how they assemble is they assemble differently in the Obama administration and the Trump administration. and Now in the Biden administration, I think what you get is a situation where uh but Biden has to tack to the center, uh because if he doesn't, he he's not gonna get any cabinet appointees. Uh Republican Senate won't confirm anybody that's uh sort of a left progressive. So to use a an easy example, you don't get Elizabeth Warren at Treasury, even if she wanted it, even if Biden wanted it. You don't get that because Republican Senate would never confirm her. Uh so that's gonna um uh, the Republican Senate has a great deal to say about how con- Biden conducts his presidency. Uh, But as we all know, uh, Biden has another problem, which is the challenge from the left. There's already some progressives who are already starting to say, you know, it's time to start uh, uh, opposing a Biden presidency. Uh, You know, it's uh, amazing how quickly these things move. But. they want to start being frustrated with Biden for his inability to, to to do everything that they want, even though Biden has no political ability in a practical sense to achieve any of those things were he to want it. Uh, so what you've got is you've got a very splintered Democratic Party. Uh, Pelosi will not be able to exercise any influence on her own coalition because she's effectively a lame duck, this being her last term as Speaker, as I already agreed to when she became Speaker uh, this time out. And uh, so there won't be any ability for Mrs. Pelosi to exercise any discipline on our own House members. President-elect Biden now has to deal with a very fractured party uh, of his own, as well as a Republican uh, Senate. And a Republican Party generally that has absolutely no interest in helping him uh, uh, move anything else along other than the three basics that I already mentioned.
1: But even before there's this issue of appeasing all these factions uh, within the parties themselves, you have to think, Terry, that the overwhelming focus of a Biden presidency, at least in the short term, maybe even in the medium term, is going to be dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. And a Biden presidency is going to be addressing this a lot differently than the uh, Trump administration has?
4: Uh, I think they do to some extent, but uh, the, Biden's going to have to proceed very carefully and very cautiously. I think, you know, the people have lived with this for the better part of a year now uh, and their own opinions. I mean, I'm just talking about general citizens, right. uh, what people in Washington are now calling normies, right? Normal people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, normal people are going to have to deal with or have been dealing with this for quite a while. And, you know, they have their own opinions starting to be baked in. And, you know, if, if Biden goes whole hog on, say, a mask mandate, for example, uh, you know, there's a whole slew of legal and practical issues about whether he could do that. But let's still let's say that that's where they, they, they want to start anyway. Um, you know, it's going to send a very bad signal to a lot of people in this country who think that, uh, the, that that's uh, overkill.
1: Thank you for this, Terry. Great having you with us once again. That's Terry Haynes, founder of Pangea Policy. And coming up next on this Bloomberg Daybreak special report, President Trump is vowing to fight the election result in court. Does he have a legal path? Bloomberg Law host June Grasso joins me and Amy Morris next. This is Bloomberg.
0: This is special coverage of the 2020 election from Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is a Bloomberg Radio special report bringing you the very latest on the 2020 race. I'm Nathan Hager.
2: I'm Amy Morris. Democrat Joe Biden has defeated President Donald Trump to become the 46th president of the United States, even though President Trump says the race is not over. Let's bring in June Grasso now. She is the host of Bloomberg Law and our resident legal expert. June, I want to thank you for taking the time with us and maybe bring us up to speed on the court cases that may be coming up. President Trump says this race is not over. What recourse does he have now?
5: Well, that's the big question, Amy, and we've seen lawsuits filed in Michigan, Georgia, Nevada and Pennsylvania. And most of these lawsuits are about the counting of the ballots and whether or not the Republican campaign was given the ability to observe what was happening. And lawsuits have been dismissed in Michigan, Georgia, Nevada and Pennsylvania over these various questions. It's unclear what else President Trump would be contesting. And you also have to remember that even if he contests these votes, this will be taking place after those votes were counted. And it becomes much harder for a court to step in and say, we're going to discount the votes that these people cast using the franchise. They cast them in reliance on the rules of the state and county, and we're now going to step in and say they're not valid. That's a really high bar for any court, and it's really unlikely in my mind that President Trump would be able to do that. And apparently some of his own legal advisors, are According to the Wall Street Journal, the White House counsel on Thursday night told the president that a legal campaign had little chance, no hope, actually, of overturning Biden's lead. So I have no idea where they would go with that.
1: The president has said that uh, legal votes, if they were counted, he would easily win. If you count illegal votes, as he characterizes it, uh, they would steal the election is how the president has characterized it. What does he mean, from your estimation, by illegal votes?
5: I think he means votes that were fraudulent in some way. However, every vote that's cast is a legal vote until it's proven that it's an illegal vote. So what happens is, if there's a vote, and there are observers from both campaigns, and if there's a vote that one campaign says let's say it's the Trump campaign says this vote, it doesn't look like the signature matches or this vote didn't match the requirements in some way. Then they go before a judge who looks at the vote and says, well, let me see what what I think about this vote. So this would have to be done on almost on a vote by vote basis, ballot by ballot. And in all the cases that we've seen so far, The judges have found that there has been no evidence at all brought by the Trump campaign to show that these votes, that any votes, are illegal. Not one vote has been declared illegal in these these big cases. And another thing is that most of these lawsuits, the challenge has been to the observation by the Trump campaign. In other words, how far away they're able to observe the ballots. In fact, when Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's personal lawyer was was uh, talking about more lawsuits in Pennsylvania on Saturday, he talked about not having access to the ballot. Well, those claims sort of die away once the ballot has been cast because a court is not going to, you know, set everything in reverse and and recount those votes because The president's lawyer says we were only allowed to be 10 feet away instead of six feet away. That was the big, quote, victory that President Trump tweeted about that the campaign had achieved in Pennsylvania. And that was that they got to observe the vote a little bit closer.
2: Uh, June, I'm just wondering, and I'm not sure that you'd be able to answer this, but let's just chew on this for just a second. You mentioned Rudy Giuliani, who has been advising the president, who seems really determined to move forward with any court challenges, whereas the president also has other legal advisors who have said publicly that this is over. Let's wrap it up and call it a day. Who would have the president's ear at this point? Who is the president more likely to, to listen to or, or take the advice from? How is this going to play out?
5: That is a very difficult question to answer because I'd have to be inside the president's mind. But what I will say is that it seems as if the president right now is listening to the people who are saying, let's pursue legal action. Because from the Trump campaign, that's really all we've heard. And from the president's tweets, that's what we've heard. And from the president's son, Eric, as well as his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, that they're going forward. And just on Friday, the Republican National Committee was sending legal teams to Michigan, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. So it looks like it will go on, even though I think that any lawyer who is looking at the scenario would tell the president that it's time to stop the lawsuits.
1: Well, we'll see how long it goes. Bloomberg law host June Grosso, thank you for this. Good having you on with us on this special report for Bloomberg Daybreak. Just ahead, we'll look at how President-elect Biden got to victory and the policy path ahead with Bloomberg government reporter Greg Giraud and Iona College political science professor Jeannie Zeno. I'm Nathan Hager, along with Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg.
0: This is special coverage of the 2020 election from Bloomberg Radio.
1: This is a Bloomberg Radio special report bringing you the very latest on the 2020 race. I'm Nathan Hager.
2: I'm Amy Morris. Democrat Joe Biden has defeated President Donald Trump to become the 46th president of the United States. We want to bring in Greg Giroux now. He's our Bloomberg government reporter covering Congress and Jeannie Zeno, Bloomberg News contributor and political science professor at Iona College. And Greg, let's just very quickly start with you. Why now? Why did they decide to call Pennsylvania? What put Joe Biden over the top?
0: Well, there was a tranche of votes early uh, Saturday counted in Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Democratic strongholds that gave Joe Biden the uh, an advantage in the, in the vote total. He gained a number of votes in those two communities that basically made Biden's lead in Pennsylvania large enough for Trump that Trump couldn't overcome.
1: All right, let's bring in Jeannie Zeno of Iona College. Obviously, Jeannie, with the uh former vice president, is over the top now, but President Trump does not appear as though he's going to concede. So what happens now, at least politically?
6: So the president has indicated, President Trump, that he is going to go ahead with litigation and that he is not conceding this race. That would be quite unprecedented, as no president in modern American history has refused to concede a race. And in fact, Many of those concessions are, you know, I was just watching a taping of many of them, and they are absolutely moving, very difficult moment for the individuals involved. President Trump may, of course, change his mind. I think we're going to see some pressure increasingly from Republican leaders for him to do that unless there is real solid evidence that they can bring into court to show that the election was stolen or that there was some kind of problem at the polls, which would result in not just a recount, but an overturning of these results and need to stress very unprecedented in America at the presidential level, certainly and at other levels for a recount or this type of litigation to result in over turning an election unless the election is just within hundreds of votes. And at least at this point, what we're seeing now is we're talking thousands of votes in the states that are under question. So I think we may see litigation. We don't expect we're going to see a concession at this point, but I think going forward, there's going to be pressure for President Trump to concede. And then, of course, on Vice President-elect's part, we're going to see him and his team start to think about the all-important issue of transition and creating a cabinet first on the agenda is, of course, dealing with the issue of COVID, health care, and the economy that's been devastated by what's happened over the last year.
2: Jeannie, I just wanted to ask you about some of the historical perspective. You just addressed the historical perspective of challenging uh, this outcome. But let's remember, President Trump was the first president who ever had never run for office before until running for president and then winning Also, we now have Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, the first black person, the first person of South Asian descent elected to the office, also the first woman elected to that office. And Joe Biden, I believe, may be the oldest president ever Mm -hmm. elected to office. If you could tie all of that together and just tell us about the history that we are witnessing as it unfolds now.
6: Yeah, it's absolutely really just an important point, and I was going to say also emotional for many people. You mentioned in particular Kamala Harris, the first woman. You know, women have been waiting so long to get in the upper echelons of leadership in this country. She has broken the glass ceiling at you know one step away from the presidency, and she is an African, a woman of African, a woman of Asian descent, I should say, and an African American woman. So this is you know historic by you know all of those marks you mentioned vice president joe biden the first person since ronald reagan to run for president unsuccessfully as many times as he did and then to win as he has at, at this point being vice, being president elect so that is historic his age is historic and of course we're in the midst of a pandemic and we've also seen on the part of the american voter historic turnout so you know there's just so much history being made here i think it's important that we all take a step back and think about this And I think that, you know, depending on what happens in terms of a potential concession from Trump, um, we also are seeing, you know, a really uphill battle for President-elect Biden as he begins to make good on this promise about bringing the American people together after a really, really tough campaign. And we have to remember that, you know, half of the people who voted, or almost half of the people who voted, this is not the outcome that they wanted. And so we may also see some protests. Hopefully we don't see any violence. But that is also, you know, not something we commonly see after a presidential election.
1: And Greg Giroux of Bloomberg Government, talk a little bit more about how difficult it could be to bind the nation's wounds together from a policy perspective, given that uh, we are likely to see a continued divided government in this country if uh, Republicans, as it seems
0: to be indicating right now, uh, continue to hold on to the Senate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Joe Biden won a clear victory in the presidential election, but more than seventy million people will have voted to re-elect Donald Trump, and so Biden is trying to forge unity and togetherness in the country because there were a lot of people who did not vote for him as president, and he will be serving as president and Kamala Harris as vice president uh, with a Senate that more likely than not will be controlled by the Republicans. At the moment, the Republicans have the advantage in fifty seats and the Democrats in forty-eight, and the only way that Democrats can. Georgia 50-50 ties if they win a pair of Senate runoffs in Georgia in January, defeating two Republican incumbents, and that would make Chuck Schumer majority leader in a 50-50 Senate. But the Republicans could control the Senate with 51 or 52 seats, but whatever the number is, it's going to be very difficult for Biden to get a lot of his sweeping progressive legislation uh, enacted, because in the Senate, you often need 60 votes to advance a lot of the signature legislation. And in the House, the Democrats still hold the House, and that's a plus for Biden, but it's with a reduced majority. And so uh, it's not going to be easy to get big legislation through a Democratic-controlled House, a Senate that will probably be controlled by the Republicans, but very closely divided, and be signed into law by a Democratic president.
2: And we are talking with Greg Giroux, our Bloomberg government reporter covering Congress, and Jeannie Zeno, Bloomberg News contributor and political science professor at Iona College. Greg, just to follow up with you, what happens next? It's over, but it's not over because the states still have to certify the vote counts, right? What's the process next?
0: Yeah, so the state certification processes are kind of vary by the jurisdiction. You know, the, I think Trump has asked for a recount in Wisconsin where the lead is about 20,000 votes. And, you know, you can ask for recounts if the margin it depends on the margin in the state and under state law. But um, as Jeannie mentioned, um, it, the, the, the recounts rarely reverse the outcomes of elections. Maybe if the vote was – the margin was 200 votes or 2,000, you'd look at a recount process closely. But when you're talking about 20,000 votes or by half a percentage – point or percentage point, recounts do not reverse that. So, you know, the, the certification process will basically basically confirm what we know now about the totals. They'll, they'll finalize the totals. It will increase the vote numbers. And once, once we get a complete count of votes, we'll definitely confirm that this was the largest turnout, raw turnout in the history of presidential elections.
1: And with the kind of turnout that we've seen, Jeannie Zeno of Iona College, what kind of mandate does that give? to president elect biden to pursue the agenda that he ran on he
6: does have a mandate we we expect that that actually his his vote totals may increase a bit from what we're seeing now but again can't forget that you know president trump also had historically large support as well so President elect Biden goes into this the highest vote getter of any presidential candidate in history, and President Trump gets number two um, on that. So that is something to keep in mind in terms of how divided we are. And as much as Biden is going to claim a mandate, um, it is something he's going to have to negotiate. Then also, you have a divided American public. So his number one task is going to be to make good on this campaign promise to bring the American public together, to try to pursue so many important policies he has on his agenda, number one being COVID, dealing with that in terms of getting a stimulus package through, which is very important to him, reestablishing the economy and figuring out what he can do to negotiate with Republicans in the Senate on things he promised, whether we're talking about tax restructuring, which he talked a lot, a lot, a lot about, health care reform, or things like infrastructure, which I suspect will have more luck getting an agreement on out of Congress.
2: And Jeannie, last question. Just wanted to ask about uh, what happens next as far as President Trump is concerned. He would be the outgoing president, uh, presumably with Joe Biden as the new president-elect. But what if the president decides he does not want to concede, which is what it sounds like right now?
6: Yeah, that's certainly what we're hearing. And again, uh, you know, unprecedented in the modern era. We've never had a presidential candidate in the modern era refuse to concede. Concessions are something. uh, You know, we've had a peaceful transfer of power since 1800, a bitterly contested election in this country, the first in, in history where you had a transition from one party to another, and it was, of course, peaceful. Concessions then later became part of sort of the way that we do things in the United States. States, and we've never had somebody lose and not concede. but we need to keep in mind concession isn't required. President Trump does not need to make that phone call. He does not need to congratulate Joe Biden in order for Joe Biden to be president. but it would be unprecedented if he didn't. And I would just say in history we have had candidates who are not uh, you know what we would call gracious losers, you know people like Charles Evans Hughes, people like Thomas Dewey, Barry Goldwater, They have not been as sort of graceful in their
1: concessions and in their acceptance of the reality. Thank you for this. Jeannie Zano, Bloomberg News contributor and Iona College political science professor. Our thanks as well to Bloomberg government reporter Greg Giroux, covering Congress for us so admirably in these months of watching this campaign. And you have been listening to a Bloomberg Daybreak special report. Stay with us through the weekend, and again, first thing Monday morning as we continue to track what's happening with the election, the legal battles that uh, have been promised, as well as the path ahead for White House policy for a president-elect, Joe Biden. I'm Nathan Hager, along with Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg.